Welcome back to First Draft Phil. Today on the podcast, we are going to be exploring a topic near and dear to my heart. We're going to be talking about the intersection of worship and holiness. Stick around. Welcome back to First Draft, Phil. Uh, I am Phil Lager. I don't know if you're listening to this for the first time, if you have stumbled upon this podcast because you saw this title and were curious about what I mean by worship and holiness. Um, I was recently invited to give a workshop on the topic of how our worship services, how our corporate worship services can lead us into living holy lives, um, exploring how we can design worship services, um, you know, in, in ways that shepherd our people that way, um, and just, you know, what it means to give God glory and how that affects how we live our lives. Such a broad topic, right? Worship, holiness. Um, but what I honed in on for those two very large topics was in our spiritual formation, that is for us individually and corporately as followers of Jesus, how does the act of praising the Lord, worshiping Him, um, work out in our lives in terms of us becoming more and more like Jesus every day? What does, it, what does that look like? And uh, in preparation for that, um, the title of my workshop became Beholding and Becoming. And so what I'd love to do today is to share with you six ways that our worship intersects spiritual formation. I'll share the first three today and then check back in next week for part two. Now, I am well aware that listening to the same person talk for any amount of time about the same topic can get a little bit droning, so I will try to make this as interesting as possible from the perspective of your ears. Um, I'll try to intersperse this workshop presentation with uh, some nice piano music in the background, so um, yeah, let's go ahead and get started. Now, anytime you hear somebody talking about worship, the proof text or the scripture passage that usually gets referred to is John chapter 4, the woman at the well. Um, It's a great passage, one of my favorite passages. I love that passage. The ministry of my life and the calling on my life in many ways is tied directly to that passage where Jesus meets the Samaritan woman and has a conversation with her about intimate details of her life that, that, um, that nobody else would know, and then jumps into worship, and he talks to her about how the Father is looking for worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and truth. Now, we are not actually going to reference that passage much to, in today's conversation, 
um, except for to say that I noticed something um, that I hadn't noticed before uh, in John chapter 4. She actually initiates the conversation about worship with Jesus, at least about the topic of worship within that conversation. Uh, she says, I perceive you are a prophet, our fathers worshiped. And then she tells about the way and how and where they worshiped. And Jesus turns that on its head. I love it. He says, woman, I, I tell you the truth. The time is coming and now is when the true worshipers, the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth for the father is seeking such to worship him. So she says, our fathers worshiped this way. And he says, my father, the father is looking for true worshipers. And that in itself is worthy of reflection. But I, I just wanted to say at the beginning here that um, we should take for granted for the, the rest of the duration of, of this little presentation that we agree that worship that the father is looking for is worship in spirit and in truth. But the text for the workshop actually is found in 1 John 3, verse 1 through 3. And this is what it says. It says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. That's First John 3 one through three. Now, this, this context here of keeping our eyes on Jesus, uh, of beholding him and, and becoming like him, I think this is, in my opinion, this is the clearest um, representation or presentation of that truth uh, as straightforward as possible in Scripture. However, it's, it's, it's not the only place in Scripture that we find this theme of beholding and becoming. Uh, in Exodus 34, uh, this the scene uh, with Moses on Mount Sinai, God reveals his character to Moses. Moses beholds him and is transformed. When he came down from the mountain, his face shone, if you'll remember. So we have Moses on the mountain. God reveals his character. I, uh, you know, the Lord, the Lord, gracious, compassionate, talks about all of his forgiveness. Um, God reveals his character to Moses, and then Moses' face is actually transforms. It shines, and he comes down the mountain, and people are afraid to look at him. He had to put a veil over his face because he was shining. The psalmist in Psalm 27 says, One thing I ask, to dwell in your house, to look upon your beauty. And elsewhere he says, Psalm 17, as for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. 
There's that beholding and becoming again. John 1, of course, John 1 says that we, he's talking about the apostles that first saw Jesus as, a, as his glory. They say, he says, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then he goes on to say, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. There's that beholding and becoming. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7 through 17, that whole passage, but right there it says in the middle, we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So we can see all throughout Scripture, there's this concept of we become like who we behold. And uh, this has direct impact on our worship services, on, uh, on, on people who lead worship, people who plan worship, um, definitely in our, our lives as well. But like for the purposes of this conversation... Um, I was asked to talk about what what the intersection of worship and holiness is. So this is going to be the main point here, that keeping our eyes on Jesus in worship, beholding him, and committing to a life of worship allows him to form us into the people he is committed to us Becoming. Let me say that again. I know that was a lot. Let me just say it one more time. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, beholding him, and committing to a life of worship allows him to form us into the people he is committed to us becoming. Okay, so let's get into it. First point, we worship in times of ease and in times of hardship. When we choose to worship the Lord in times of ease and in times of hardship, we prove to ourselves, most importantly, that our faith is a deep internal reality, not based on external circumstances. You know what this does? This loosens our grip on the need to control the world around us. Jesus is purifying our hearts as we worship in times of both ease and times of hardship. We affirm his worth when we worship, which is not dependent on what our eyes can see or even what our minds can make sense of in the world around us. So important in these crazy times to choose this, you know, when things seem easy and things seem hard. Um, we uh, of all, I'm sure most of us have heard and sung or led even the song by Matt and Beth Redman, Blessed Be Your Name. You know, blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. 
And then blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. And when the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, it's that choice to worship in times of ease and times of hardship that proves our faith is deep, internal. It's not based on external circumstances. Number two, we worship in times of comfort and in times of refinement. When we choose to worship the Lord in times of internal comfort and in times of refinement, or maybe we might say the seeming absence of the Lord's presence. Have you been there? Have you ever felt like you cannot feel the Lord, sense Him? Where are you, Lord? Um, we, we prove when we worship in, in times of, of both comfort and in times of those uh, refining times where we don't sense His nearness, we prove that our faith is not based on our own subjective changing internal, emotional, or felt experience. Now, I want to say that obviously our emotions and our felt experiences are an important part of who we are. They're important when it comes to our faith in Christ and our relationship with Him. But here's where we need to remind ourselves. If we feel that He is quote-unquote withholding comfort or where are you, God? We can be sure that He is doing it for our good. He is more committed to us than we could ever imagine. Think about that. He is committed to you. There's no way He's going to leave you on your own. If you're experiencing something, He's working it for your good. He is more committed to us than we could ever imagine. He is molding us and shaping us, and the pruning sometimes hurts, but we choose to worship in those times. Saint John of the Cross, um, a Catholic saint who wrote The Dark Night of the Soul, um, he has passages on the different stages of growth in our walk of holiness that are extremely helpful here. He talks about God weaning us as we mature in Christ, weaning us off of certain quote-unquote soul consolations at times in order to take us to a higher level of maturity. Now, this is really difficult for those of us who are feelers. Um, You know, we, you know, crudely could separate the world, I think, into thinkers, feelers, and doers. And those of us who are feelers have a hard time with this. Now, I gave this illustration, and I'll share it here with you, about my dog. I have a dog. She is a Newfie Doodle, um, Newfoundland Poodle mix, named Tim Tam. We call her Tammy for short. Now, what we did not realize when we got Tammy was that Newfie Doodles, the older they get, get very attached uh, very, very FOMO, if you will, fear, fear, if you will, fear of missing out. And she has become that way with my wife. Um, Tammy is just if if my wife raises her head, if she moves in her chair, if she goes out of the room, you know she's she's going to be followed by Tammy. 
Um, and so it's it's comical, but at times a little frustrating because you know you just want uh, I for me anyway. I just want my wife to have a little sense of <laughs> not having the dog follow her everywhere. And so the other day, uh, Tammy was following Sarah. You know, Sarah just got up. I think she was just going into the other room. Tammy gets up and follows her. And I gently grabbed Tammy's collar and I, I pulled her towards myself and I said, Tammy, it's okay. You're not missing anything. She's not going anywhere. I know you can't see her right now, smell her, but she's here. I promise she's coming back. She'll look after you. And as I'm, as I'm preaching to my dog, I'm, I'm hearing the Lord say this to me. I haven't gone anywhere, Phil. Um, <laughs> you're not missing out. I'm here. I'm with you. Just because you can't feel me right now doesn't mean that I'm not still at work in your life. So when we choose to worship in times of comfort and in times of those you know, seeming absences of felt experience, we can be sure that God is still at work in our lives. And that proves, again, I think to ourselves more than anybody, that our faith is not based on our own subjective, changing internal emotional experiences. It's based on who God is, his character, his work. All right, that was a lot. Uh, Moving on to point number three. We worship in the shallows and in the depths. What do I mean by that? Well, can we just put to rest the worship wars of yesteryears and just that, isn't that just tiring to talk to people who insist on one way or the other, like it has to be hymns or it has to be modern worship or it has to be certain instrumentation or whatever. There is a time and a place for everything. We can worship Jesus in the shallows and in the depths. What do I mean by that? We center Jesus not only as Lord, but as friend. Not only as king overall, but also as lover of our souls. Not only as heavenly father, but also as heavenly father. Our relationship with him has so many facets, and he is worthy of the expression of all of them. He is worthy of me singing, I could sing of your love forever. 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 He's worthy of me singing, See from his head, his hands, his feet, Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, Or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, That were an offering far too small, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Now, imagine if every time you wanted to tell your wife or your husband, significant other, that you loved her or him, you had to come up with a new Shakespearean sonnet. That would be exhausting. Sometimes a simple, I love you, will do. Scripture says to praise him and to sing to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. 
So maybe, just crudely here, maybe spiritual songs can be thought of as the shallows, and hymns can be thought of as the depths, if you like. But no matter where you fall on that, you know, what you prefer, both of those things are equally important in our wholeness. You know, we're talking about holiness here, which is synonymous with wholeness. And we need to worship Him in those simple ways and in those deep ways. Now, that's three of the six, and uh, just in the interest of time, uh, I'll just leave those three there for today and come back next week and share the other three with you. Again, um, maybe just reflect on those three. We worship Him in times of ease and in times of hardship. That's the first one, and that proves that our faith is not based on external circumstances. We worship in times of comfort and in times of refinement. That proves that our faith is not just based on our own subjective internal experiences. And we worship in the shallows, in the depths, because God is interested in having a whole person relationship with him. I feel like that's a lot, (laughs) those first three. Um, But thanks for listening today. Check back in next week and we'll, we'll finish this up. Um, in the meantime, uh, just a, a little bit of an advertisement. If you enjoy the content uh, on this podcast, please consider giving it a five-star rating and a review on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, wherever you listen, give it a thumbs up. If this is helpful to you, uh, share it with somebody. If this particular episode has ministered to you in some way, really appreciate you sharing. You know, I, I just love doing this and, and I hope this is helpful for some people. If you like my music and and want to support me, uh, you can check out my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Lager, L-A-E-G-E-R. And for less than the price of a cup of coffee uh, per month, uh, you can help support the ministry that I'm called to and the work that I put out. God bless you guys. And uh, remember, no matter where you are on your journey, God is still working. He's not finished with you yet. He's faithful all the way from your first draft to your finished story. God bless you.